Welcome to the Fast Forward podcast, a series dedicated to answering the challenges that keep entrepreneurs awake at night. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. You can have the greatest business idea in the world, but without the right people around you, that idea is almost guaranteed to fail. Today's talent economy is highly competitive and purpose-led. A huge part of getting those people on board and retaining their talent is culture. What you stand for, your purpose and your vision. And that applies whether you're two people or 200. Today's guest, Michael Vishnisky. That's right. Hi, Michael. Founder of Flock, advises organisations on exactly how to do that, how to find the right people who identify with what their company stands for. So companies and employees can grow together. He's here today to impart some of that knowledge with us today. Hi, Michael. Hi, Patricia. Thank you for inviting me today. Well done for pronouncing my name and surname. <laughs> <laughs> I, it did come with a bit of practice. Yep. Um, so listen, we like to start off with a, a little bit about you and why you're the person that's in the hot seat sharing a bit of expertise around this particular kind of uh, sticky subject. Mm-hmm. So tell us a bit about you and your background and how you got involved in sort of culture-driven uh, consultancy. So uh, my story really started in, in Poland. So I'm Polish. Uh, I lived in there until I was 18. And at the age of 18, I was like sort of midway through high school. And I got a chance to go to college in Oxford in the UK. So I decided to drop out of my high school in Poland and moved away to, to Oxford and to the UK. So at the, uh, at the college, I did... Uh, IB course, which is like equivalent to A levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, stayed in there for for two years. Uh, I knew that I liked maths, uh, for some reason. Uh, so I decided to go to do mechanical engineering after. Uh, so I moved away to Liverpool, mm-hmm. uh, finished mechanical engineering course in there. Uh, then worked a bit uh, within uh, engineering industry, uh, energy industry. Uh, I had some bad experiences, which I'll talk about in a bit. Uh, and then after, I joined the University of Manchester. And then at the University of Manchester, I did really do the course, which I was really passionate about, that really creates the base for for my business, created the foundation. Uh, and lived in Manchester for two years now. Love the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been great. I think it's, uh, I feel like I'm the part of this growth uh, you can really see that more and more businesses are building and the ecosystem is growing. Yeah. So Flock is founded um, partly on your experiences in, in previous um, organisations and mm-hmm. that, that cultural mismatch, which we'll talk about in a, in a bit more detail. But tell us a bit about what that experience was like. What happened there? The culture mismatch? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so... Ended up in a company where I just didn't fit, but in the recruitment process, they sold the dream. So before I joined, I had a vision that I will be swimming in money, doing what I love. <laughs> uh, joined the company, was completely different on, on day one. Uh, so I was meant to be in this innovative hub for the entire organization. Uh, joined the company, I didn't even have my, my laptop for the first two months. Mm-hmm. And the, the team itself wasn't that innovative in itself. So I was sold something completely different to what I experienced. Uh, and I thought, you know, I saw the negative effects, effects of it on myself and on, on the team as well. So what to, do you mean by that? What were the so negative effects I, on you? I liked the job itself. <laughs> yeah. And this is why I stayed with the job for a while. However, with time, I just didn't want to engage. I didn't 
care whether I'm going to be successful or not because I knew uh, it wasn't what I was meant to be doing in the first place. Yeah. Uh, And then with time, I just like sort of drifted away from the company uh, and then eventually left. Um, Yeah. Uh, so it's it sounds like it had a company that was full of potential, but didn't didn't kind of live up to that. Mm. So you've then made it your mission to help people find their calling in work, um, yeah. and that's what you're doing through your your own startup flock. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So yeah, after I left my previous company, I joined the University of Manchester and did mm. the research really around organizational culture. Uh, on you know what it means, how can you measure it? And I spent twelve months just analyzing different ways of uh, measuring culture. And then on the back of my research, I created a methodology that we use today at Flock, uh, and created a business that really helps HR professionals uh, to add more value, add more financial value to their organizations by leveraging more engaged company culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we I really see. Flock as a Google Analytics, but for company culture. Uh, so it's a, de- a decision-making tool, data-driven decision-making tool. Um, and the way we do it, uh, we do it by helping companies to define what the company culture actually means, uh, help them to track it over time. Uh, we can add the financial value to it, so it's a bit more relatable, rather than just saying, you know, your teamwork is misaligned. We can say, this is how much money is going to cost you for the next year, if you don't do anything about it, uh, and then we can, and then we propose an action plan on how you can improve it. So it's much more pragmatic tool than uh, you know the traditional psychometric tests or other solutions. So you gather the data and make the recommendation yeah. from there. Yeah. So I, you know, if I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur that's listening to this podcast, and um, whether I've got um, one employee or I've got ten, <coughs> I've got a culture. Right mm-hmm. around my company, yeah. um, but I want—I don't really know what that is. So how do how do I go about um, defining that as a as a business person? How do I go around defining that for myself, but also for the employees and future employees that are looking at me for mm-hmm. um, future employment? Yes, yeah, so I think it's really important to first define the why you do it. Uh, and for me, it, it took a long time as well. So during my course, I didn't really know what exactly I wanted to do. So I spend a lot of months just thinking, you know, what do I want to do in life? And then how can I align it with, mm. with my business? So I think if you are just a sole trader or a single entrepreneur, it's really important to, you know, take some time out and think, what do I want to achieve in life? Because, you know, uh, this, you know the truth is, as the company develops, you're going to, you, you will have some difficulties. It's not going to be easy. Yeah. And if you don't have this why aligned with what you do, <coughs> then you'll probably just quit. Uh, so it's really important to align it from the start. And then as you grow, make sure that you work with people who understand your purpose and you have the set of core values that really guide everything you do. I've heard um, Lawrence Jones here speak many times about you know the mm-hmm. fact that most entrepreneurs don't go into business to make money. Um, yeah. So I think that kind of, you know, what, what the why, um, mm-hmm. you know, is not necessarily a commercial one. How do you, is there a process that that business leaders can go through to kind of identify that? Because I think it, I think we can understand it from a very top line point of mm-hmm. view. But is there a process or a technique or tools that they can that they can that they can employ even on a more on a rudimental basis just to explore mm-hmm. that 
with themselves? Well, so if the, the more experienced you are, the more you realize what your core values are and your vision. So if you're older, you sort of have an advantage to the younger entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. uh, because really how we can assess it is through our past experience. So the, the first advice from me would be to go out and experience as many things as you can so you learn more about yourself. Uh, and I think that's the first step to really find out what you enjoy and why you enjoy it. Uh, and then uh, that's really simple too, is just asking yourself the question why as many times as you can to really yeah. find out why have you done it in the past. Uh, but also, you know, asking your friends and, you know, the people that you work with, you might have a co-founder or your employees. Hmm. You know, I think a co-founder would be very important, wouldn't it, yeah. to make sure that that's aligned. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, most of the time when do when do two founders break up in the future, most of the time it's because of they, they value some misaligned. So it's really important to, to do it from the start. So if if we can get to that point where we've defined our sort of our why, and then I guess from that um, our core values and our our culture, our our vision, all of those kind of stem out of that, right? Mm -hmm. um, if once we've got to that sort of that sort of ground sort of base, how do we then manage that as we scale the business? So as we start hiring people, whether it's on a slow pace or or a fast pace, I think fast pace is much more challenging. Mm -hmm. um, how how do we go about retaining that and and uh, making sure that everybody buys into it? Yes, I think the problem, especially when you when you grow fast, and uh, nobody wants to put any put any attention to culture because mm. it's never the top priority. But on the other hand, often it's the reason why it, it doesn't. It's not as successful as it could be. Uh, so it's really important first to focus on alignment of the values and vision and purpose across the leadership team. Uh, because the leaders need to lead what the company culture is. They need to show an example of what it is. And if there's a mis misunderstanding uh, or leaders don't really know how their personal values relate to the company vision, then it, it will create silos within the company. So the first step would be to align the purpose and vision across the leaders mm -hmm. and then let them take a decision where they want to take the company to. However, it can be, ma be made in isolation. Once you've got employees, they one of your key stakeholders, right? So you need to make sure that you allow your employees to support your decision-making. Uh, if they are not a key stakeholder in your decision-making, then you might end up with something that's completely different to what your employees desire. Right. Uh, so re it's really important to engage with your employees and build your company culture ground up as well as top down. How would um, how would companies go about doing that in terms of engaging those employees as, as stakeholders? How, some, what are some of the ways that they could do that? Uh, well, so it, once your company is bigger, it's much more difficult because you need to spend uh, time with them individually yeah uh, but thankfully you've got tools like flock uh, <laughs> where you can <laughs> where you can aggregate all the results and basically uh, you know collate it all together and make a better decision making uh, using that but also you can run different events uh, workshops uh, you know engage with people on one-on-one -on -one interviews uh, and then just prepare a set of questions to ask them what they desire what is the company culture like uh, their perception is probably totally different to what your perception is because on a daily basis you might interact with totally different stakeholders. And, you know, I see it with different companies as well. 
Uh, so it's very it's very impactful and powerful once you find out that their perception might be totally different to yours. So would you be asking questions about how they see the company at sort of in as in that moment of time, but also what they would like to see? Yeah. Yeah. And what what resonates for them, and see if does that does that marry up? Yeah, so I would usually ask, uh, what's the company culture like? Uh, how committed they are? How engaged they are with the current setting? Mm-hmm. What would they like to improve? What's their desired company culture? How is it different to what leaders desire? Mm. Uh, and you know, where would they like to start? What's the what, what are the things that are currently inhibiting them from from growing? Yeah, and then by the more people, the more data you collect, yeah, the more effective the decision is uh, later on. So it's like 360 feedback yeah, on a company level. On, on company culture. So when you talk about leaders um, and if we're thinking about that process of bringing new people on board, um, you know, you can look for, um, if you, and if you already have an idea of your, your mm-hmm. culture, you can start looking for those in sort of the future hires, whether that's senior leadership or or further down across the business. Mm-hmm. Um to companies like UK Fast here use psychometric testing um, to be able to try and hire people based on a culture fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not necessarily open to everybody um, because there's a cost associated to that. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other ways that you can effectively do that um, without having to you know, put a lot of sort of capital uh, mm-hmm. behind it? Are there tips and tools that SMEs can deploy? Well, so I think the first thing worth mentioning is to never look at the you know culture fit in mm. isolation, uh, I think you know people are much more complex. So you want as diverse environment as possible. People from different backgrounds, different skills, different personalities, to foster this diversity within your company. Yeah, uh, and you want you want all of them to be aligned with the same vision and values, because otherwise they're just going to argue all the time. Uh, so. It's very important to get people who understand your vision and your purpose uh, and the way you can use it, uh, the, the way you can do it is by just asking questions that relate to your core values. So first, you know, derive your core values uh, then see how you can really create. So, you know, be, before going really to recruitment, let's look at the company itself. Uh, so once you've got the set of core values, let's say you've got four. Uh, how can what you, is the ideal number, by the way? Uh, I wouldn't keep it too long, but I don't <laughs> think there's any rules. You okay. know? Uh, I believe that it needs to be unique. Uh, the, I, I also don't believe there's good and bad culture. I mean, there mm. is, maybe subjectively, uh, but really it just needs to be unique and aligned really with your strategy and your people. Okay. Uh, but once you've got your set of core values, you really need to think of how can you create an environment uh, that supports and resources that supports them uh, across the organization and that's through different you know the way you reward people the way you provide feedback the way you deal with failure uh, so those need to reflect your core values and then by being able to create them and you create effectively behaviors across your company and then by using those behaviors you can recruit uh, so you can ask people about their behaviors and then see how it relates to your own company hmm. uh, and then obviously you can use flock as well which is <laughs> Definitely the best way. <laughs> so, how would you use Flock to recruit? Uh, so, first, we so rather than focusing again on the candidate himself or herself, we would first take a step back and focus on the company to really see where the company is today, where it wants to get to, uh, what are the strategies that they can implement to improve. So, was that that three hundred and sixty feedback That's that we were talking yeah. about, and input that data in the Flock? Yeah. 
And then once you've got that, then you can more effectively find people who align with your desired company culture. Uh, and then in that way, you not only you don't only maintain your company culture internally, uh, but you can also maintain it externally by bringing in people who really associate with your with your vision. Okay. And you mentioned there about behaviours. How do you explore that with um, with candidates? Then, so once you've understood from the software, you know what mm-hmm. types of values and behaviours you're looking for. How do you then tease that out of the candidates? Because you're not going to get it from their CV, right? Do you yeah. start stalking them on social <laughs> social media? Well, you can do because <laughs> there's there's tools to do that, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, I think. What uh, you know, founders in the early stages often do is to ask, uh, you know, what animal are you? Uh, and I don't, I don't think that's an effective way of recruiting. I have no idea what animal I'd be. <laughs> kitten? I'm just thinking kittens. Yeah, so what does it mean to no, a kitten? I don't know. A kitten <laughs> and if I'm a tiger, am I better or, or worse? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so it, like, it creates very subjective uh, way of recruiting. Mm-hmm. And then I think as a result, if you end up with a company full of tigers, it means maybe, you know, it's the same kind of people within your company. Or, yeah, but are they all really tigers? Do you know what I mean? Like, how yeah. do, how does that, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, but people do it, but yeah. I don't know what's the real impact of it. Yeah. You can't really compare an alligator or kitten and, and a dog. <laughs> right? I don't recruit dog people. Uh, yeah, so, so are uh, there more effective sort of revealing questions that they can ask? So I think the more you can relate it back to your company, to your own unique company, the better. Okay. Uh, and I think it's really important to take people into the outside world, you know. So uh, at Flock, we really use our assessment as a screen assessment. So before you invite your candidate into an interview, you can really see, you know, what drives them and how it relates to your own drivers. Um, however, once they are in the interview, I would, you know, highly recommend a very relaxed atmosphere so they don't feel stressed, so they mm. don't feel like they need to lie at the interview. Uh, maybe, you know, take them into a restaurant and then ask, uh, you know, much more informal questions so you really see the real them mm-hmm. before you hire them. So we're getting an idea of sort of mm. how valuable, a, a, or as you said, you know, every company has a culture, um, not necessarily mm-hmm. good, but it does have one. Um, but positive and engaging cultures seem to have the most success. How do they go about uh, boosting productivity? So, uh, so first aspect of it, it's kind of intuitive. You know, if people relate to what your company stands for, then they'll stay more engaged, they'll work harder, they'll be happier, uh, they'll stay with you for longer. And that creates this win-win situation when employees are happy, employees go more productive workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thankfully, there's a lot of research as well. Uh, there's, you know, massive international studies uh, that find that more engaged teams are like 21% more profitable. Uh, you know, happier uh, employees are more productive. Uh, uh, what else? Uh, they stay with you for longer. And if you just look at the portfolio of best companies to work for, they significantly outperform their competitors. So the reason why they become much more productive is because the I think the key in having a much more productive culture is not really this engagement stuff, uh, but really what it is, is the alignment of culture and strategy. Uh, So let me give you an example. So, for example, 
uh, you've got a marketing agency and their strategy, whenever they've got a new project, they come up with 10 or 20 new ideas. Uh, you know, there's lots of brainstorming, very fast paced, people are empowered to take new decisions. And then that's the process of getting the right results. And then you get the new uh, CEO who changes the company uh, altogether, creates much more bureaucratic and process driven approach. Then you can see that they will minimize the potential of people because this is not what they naturally driven by. Mm -hmm. And once you inhibit people from doing this, then, you know, how I did in, in my own experience, you lose interest. And then as a result, you become less productive and you start looking for, for other things that really engage you and interest you. Uh, and I think that sits at the core of being more productive at work, just being able to relate yourself to, to what you do. So how do you know when you've got it right or you know, how you've, got, how you've got it right. Is there, there, there must be ways to kind of measure that, but I'm not quite sure what the, K, what the KPIs would be around this. So, Yeah, so that's a really interesting point. Uh, so often when we talk about culture, uh, nobody, really thinks, nobody really thinks about finance or money. Uh, it still tends to be this fluffy concept, you know, nice to have, but mm -hmm. nobody can really... We'll type, do all this nice type. stuff and hopefully everybody will be yeah. happy kind of thing. Yeah, so, you know, you can measure it through engagement or how happy your employees are, but still that there's this missing link of how much money is it actually bringing to our business. And as a CEO or CFO, this is what's on your mind. This is what, what your priorities are. Uh, and I think, sadly, there's not enough tools around to be able to quantify your culture financially uh, and really, you know, create different KPIs uh, around it and this is why at Flock we, we've developed uh, you know this feature where you can not only say that your culture is misaligned or your culture is aligned uh, we can see this is how much value it's bringing to your organization and then you can track it over time uh, to see how it evolves and what kind of things does that measure uh, so mostly it measures you know based on how engaged your employees are you can sort of anticipate how likely they are to leave mm -hmm. your company and then we can, you know, take your internal KPIs, which is, you know, time to hire, yeah. uh, cost of training, and that all, that all goes into this calculation. Yeah. Uh, but also, you know, once they become more aligned, then they become more productive. So you can take that into account as well. But also, once you've got, for example, a company culture that's totally different to what you desire, uh, then that can help you to anticipate how likely you are to hit your own KPIs. Uh, because if it's misaligned, then people will not engage and therefore they're less likely to help you hit your KPIs. So if we go to the other side of the spectrum then and mm -hmm. um, you haven't taken control of your, your culture and it's kind of all over the place, um, what happens? What happens to those companies and the people that work within them? Well, so I think once you lose control, then it starts taking care of itself. Uh, right, you, you, you. Once the company is bigger, uh, then you have totally different cultures in different locations. Uh, there will be, you know, silos within the company. There will won't be any communication, uh, and eventually you will lose out financially, purely because of the fact people don't talk to each other or they don't understand each other. Uh, so that's one thing, uh, and you know, there's lots of horrible examples out there. Please share. We love a horror story. <laughs> so let, let me start with a, with a not horrible, but, but bad. Uh, so for example, Kodak. You mm -hmm. know Kodak, right? Yeah. It used to be a Google of its day, amazing company. 
uh, but in nineties they decided to enter the digital market. You know this new thing. Uh, they knew there's a potential in that, uh, so they joined that market. However, their company culture was very uh, bureaucratic, very complacent, very risk averse. You know, perfectionist. Yeah. And you know the the digital market is completely different. It's fast paced. Uh, you need to be innovative. Uh, you need to take risks. So, for example, in I think in nineties, Kodak came up with this idea that they could create a, an app or or a, or a camera which would help you to share your pictures with your friends. Uh, something that you might call Instagram today, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, but they did. They failed miserably because. <laughs> what happened to that idea? Well, because they never put it out to the public, so they Why? just kept it secret because they wanted to make a perfect product. And they spend a lot of money and time investing into it mm-hmm. rather than just taking it out and then, you know, getting the feedback and improving the product. Yeah. And by the time they released it, it was it was too late. Um, and, you know, over time with Kodak, they would have new CEOs, new leaders, and they would say, this is the new strategy. And it always go towards this fast paced, you know, environment. But none of them really looked back to looked back to see what is actually our company culture like and how can we change it or leverage it to create a unique competitive advantage. Fascinating. I don't think I've ever heard the, co- <clears throat> the Kodak fail being brought back to, to culture, mm. um, but really interesting. Um, so what would be, you know, your top tips for creating a positive um, culture or making sure that your culture is aligned to the, to the market that you're, you're competing in? Well, buy a ping pong table. <laughs> Why ping pong? <laughs> well, everyone likes ping pong table. Right? <laughs> no, I'm joking. But this is a, an often a perception of people mm. that if we buy a ping pong table, it will fix all the problems. People will love it. Everyone will love coming to work. But if you buy a ping pong table and nobody uses it, then there's something wrong that's underneath it. Mm. Uh, so definitely don't look just at the outside. Look at the people. You know, people create the culture. It's the mm-hmm. way you empower people to find take decisions. out what they want. Yeah, find out what they want, and also you know what I mentioned before. Make sure that the leadership understands it and they can lead it. If your leaders, if you as a CEO don't believe in this culture stuff, uh, then probably it, you wouldn't be successful in executing it. Uh, so that's number one. Uh, then number two is define what it means for you specifically. Uh, you know, teamwork can mean many things for different companies. It might mean uh, that you know team comes above everyone else, or maybe it means that you are you like to collaborate. So make sure that whatever you come up with is defined in a specific way to you, and then you can use it later on to build this you know great organization that you're on the track of building. Mm. Uh, the number three, I think I mentioned that as well, uh, is to build it ground up. Make sure that you interact with your employees. Make sure you know what they want and treat them as a key stakeholder in your decision making. Uh, so they engage in the process, so they're part of it as well. Uh, so then you get everyone's buy-in quicker. And then once you once you set it, make sure that the way you communicate it is diverse enough so everyone understands it. So, for example, I might be driven by adding value to clients, but you, for example, might not care about clients. All you care about is being innovative. Mm-hmm. So, how do the core values can how the core values can benefit you and me? It's very important to you know communication is extremely important, especially as you grow. 
Uh, and then the last one is uh, make sure that you minimize uncertainty. Uh, you know, especially during uncertainty times, people tend to do stupid things or things that don't align with what your core values are. What do you mean by that? Uh, so there's this study, uh, neuroscience. I'm not a neuroscientist, but uh, I've read a couple of interesting papers. But basically, uncertainty is the worst feeling that you can have. It's even worse than fear itself. Uh, so the anticipation of bad results really makes you feel assume the worst. Uh, so whenever you're going for change or going for growth, uh, make sure that you use culture as your uh, as your way moving forward. This is this is what's going to stay constant in our process of change, and then everyone can sort of relate back to it. And yeah, that's number five. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some really um, really helpful tips there um, for anybody that's kind of grappling with this, and of course, flocks there for them. Um, as a data um, a data tool as well. Um, we hope that's answered um, some of your questions um, for you if you're working through that kind of vision and purpose and values piece for your business. Um, we love to hear your feedback. Um, so please um, pop onto iTunes or SoundCloud and leave your comments and reviews there. And if you have any other questions around culture that uh, Michael would be very happy to ask, um, we'll share those with him. Um, but for now, we hope that, that gives you a better night's sleep. Thank you. Thank you.